welcome to the Judgment Day Refreshment Committee. I'm your host, as ever, sexy, sexy Dory Peacock. With me today is my co-host, Timothy Glengarry Glen Ross Maurice, which is funny because his middle, his middle name is Glen. Over time, I'm curious if your uh, high, posh British accent you open the show with is just going to be like... It's just going to get more elaborate is what's going to happen. Yeah. It's going to get posher and posher until I'm like, oh, darling, come, come, get back over here and look at the croquet hoops. Mm, hoops. Good woody word there. Hoops. <laughs> that's Monty that's Python. I, I didn't make that up. Oh. It's just going to get more and more eccentric. Do you think we would thrive more if we were in another country? You and I? Like as humans? Yeah. Uh, it would depend on the country. Like, I think I'd be shite in Brazil or somewhere. Well, I mean, just Britain specifically. In Britain? I don't... I Maybe. I know they hate American accents, so we'd have to, like, really No, our accents are a novelty. In. They could figure it. Oh, my brother... When my brother was over there, he said, like, Scottish people hated how Americans talk. Yeah, but that's Scotland. But that's Scotland. Scotland people hate how Americans sound because that reminds them of the Irish. I've been working on my Scottish accent because oh, I've been no. copying the girl from Extras. Oh, no. I think I've got it pretty good now. Oh, no. Oh, no. My brother's, my brother's always making fun of me because I meld a lot of accents. I know. I know. We we do have one. We, we shouldn't insult the Scots because I know we have at least one Scottish listener to this podcast. That's That's my friend Raymond. If you even still listen to this, Raymond, tell me how's my accent. Raymond, tell me about it. Raymond, tell us how are the wee rocks of of the old, the old country. <laughs> uh, the gray the rocks Scottish of the things old I country. totally know about. <laughs> All the the stuff that you have over there. I love to see someone who is just like uh, doesn't know anything about European history. So he just so they just think like every every European country is the old country. <laughs> And they're like, so yeah, how's the the stuff you got over there? How's the, the old country? The yeah? old country, yeah. You guys uh, making stuff with your hands and <laughs> and regretting the. Uh, so how's the, feudalism? How's how's the feudal system treating you? A lot of your serfs deserting to live in cities and join guilds. It's kind of how it goes. Kind of how it goes. <laughs> Man, this is this is the greatest podcast. Did I ever? Did I ever tell you? The story of how when I was like, when I was in junior high and the internet was new and you could make like wikis, you could make like little wikis and little groups and stuff that weren't Facebook. They were like on Yahoo or something. Mm-hmm. And my friend made us a, a wikia that was called 13th Century England Weekly. <laughs> and it was supposed to be a place for us to just make like dumb old timey jokes about like being covered in dung. And I think our... I think our tagline was like, life is so futile, <laughs> or like, everything is futile. We had a joke about... Resistance is futile. We had a joke about surf being like the detergent they use, but spelled like with an E, like a surf. <laughs> oh, no, that's what it was. I, I wanted to do... <laughs> there was a, a joke I put on there about surfing USA, <laughs> but with like an E, this was like surfs. Surfing USA. <laughs> oh man, we should bring that back. That was a clever, clever child. You should, you should talk to the guy that made that group and see if he wants to make a new Facebook. Yeah, group he's for dead it. to me. <laughs> <laughs> no, just anyway. kidding. I just don't know what happened to him. I think he moved anyway. to the West Coast or something. Yeah, it was a. Uh, I was, I was a clever child, and here I am. Compensating for what a clever child I was by 
watching <laughs> being YA a mediocre fiction. adult <laughs> by being a pretty mediocre adult watching YA fiction and talking about it on the interwebs. Children of our generation, our problem wasn't that our parents always gave us praise. It's that they didn't warn us we could peak too early. We were that great. It's just the problem is we didn't. Yeah, we never got greater. You have to, you have to learn to teach children. It's a, it's not a sprint, guys. It's a marathon. We were washed up by 20. Yeah. All of us. <laughs> and whatever chosen field. It's also a problem that, like, you know, we just live longer than most other generations now. And so, like. That's true. By the time my parents were 27, you know, enough people had retired in my hometown for my dad to come back and get a teaching job. But, like, my dad won't get to retire till he's, like, 70. Oh, well, that's intense. So. Do you want to lighten the mood by telling me what you've been watching recently? I do want to tell you what enjoying. I've been watching recently. Recently, I have been watching... The Last Man on Earth. Oh, it's come it's come back from from mid season hiatus. Oh, with a couple episodes. They didn't do one yesterday, which they should have. I feel I feel so isolated from network television because I don't see ads for it because I don't watch network television. Oh yeah, and you don't have Hulu, which is where I watch everything because I don't have network television. I I was talking to someone. Oh, you were there. We were talking to someone. And we were talking about Kimmy Schmidt, and she was like, "Yeah, I don't have cable." It's like, oh, it's on Netflix. And I was like, it's on Netflix. Everyone has Netflix. Come on, you're like me from the 90s. (laughs) Because we didn't have cable. Uh, We had antenna. Anyway, no, I've been watching Last Man on Earth, but I know I'm I'm giving you a bit of a tease. A bit of a tease about what we're talking about today. Um, Because we're actually going to... We've actually been watching different things today, dear listeners. Um, Instead of covering the same ground of something that we watched together... Uh, we discovered that we've been watching what's basically the same two iterations of kind of the same show. A little bit. A little bit. And so we are going to each talk about the, uh, the show that we've been watching recently. And these shows, uh, Tim, I think you pointed out that they're both sort of YA for grownups. Yeah, very much so. That's kind of something like... That's kind of something that's emerged recently. What do you, why do you think that is, Tim? Um, because adults have money to spend on things and YA fiction so, sold well. I mean, what you essentially have is uh, shows that very easily appeal to people who used to be into young adult fiction. Um, very popular young adult fiction, Twilight, Harry Potter, that sort of thing. So it, it's only natural and following. You get your Twilight, but like on HBO, um, you know, the only similarity being, you know, vampires. Mm-hmm. And then you get like Game of Thrones kind of in a very similar ilk to the people who used to read things like Harry Potter and a lot of its peers that never really got any attention. Um, but, you know, were popular young adult books. I mean, the thing about all those young adult books that were just like character driven fantasy books, like the yeah. Pendragon series. Trying to kind of ride the wave of Harry Potter. The Artemis Fowl books, uh, the Alchemist books by that one Utah author. I don't know his name. I don't know. His or not name alchemist either. books. There's like oh, Fablehaven, like the Fablehaven. Fablehaven, books. Brandon Sanderson. Yeah, right? and then and then even there's like failed stuff like Percy Jackson, where it had an audience. So then, in, in a way, a lot of those people are ready for things that are adult for them now. But they and still kind of have that same taste. Yeah, the the thing is, you can't really make a fantasy is came in is is in two veins, uh, successfully in the last ten years. It's either Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. Or it's Harry Potter. Mm. So if you're going to do any urban fantasy, it kind of is in your best interest to have some self-awareness about where that came from. Mm -hmm. 
like with Harry Potter. I think, yeah, there's a combination here with these shows, especially of the Harry Potter generation aging into adulthood and still having a love of Harry Potter and people trying to capitalize on that. And also the weird thing that happened when Twilight came out and people immediately realized that a good chunk of the Twilight demographic was actually middle-aged housewives who were kind of reveling in this teenage fantasy in a weird way. And so I think these shows, oh, were, yeah. the shows we're going to talk about is, are a product of the confluence of those two things. I think it's also important to point out that like neither of these shows are really like that successful the way we would quantify success today. I'd say, I mean, yeah. Like, cause they, we don't really do Nielsen ratings. You don't hear about Nielsen ratings anymore. You do a little bit. I mean, it's so what are we talking about? What are the shows? What are the shows? Well, my show that I'm going to talk about is Witches of East End. Okay. And that's, uh, I, I found it on Netflix. I believe it was produced possibly for Canadian television. That sounds like a thing that happened. And, and what's yours? Uh, mine is sci-fi's, S-Y-F-I's, uh, The Magicians, based on the Neil Grossman novels. Um, Oh, it was based on a novel? It was. Oh, I didn't know. I don't think Witches of East End was. So... Do you want to go first or should I go first? Uh, you go first. Well, let me ask you a question. Was Witches of East when and created for a, uh, where did it air? Cause that is important. Looks like it aired on Lifetime and then, oh yeah, it was produced. Let's see. It was announced for Lifetime and they paid for the pilot. So yeah, it looks like it was produced for Lifetime. Mm-hmm. So it was essentially a Lifetime TV show. Was it syndicated in from Canada or was it made for Lifetime? Let's see. Announced for Lifetime. Ordered a pilot in 2013. Lifetime ordered the pilot. Okay. Produced by Fox 21. So yeah, not Canadian. I kind of, anything that I haven't heard of that I find on Netflix <laughs> that's in English, I kind of assume it's Canadian. We were watching, I was trying to show you a Canadian show the other day and there was the love interest who's a, who, oh, a werewolf and you're like, yeah. he's... He's Canada hot. He is. He's <laughs> so Canada hot. And I'm like, yeah. He looks like a kid. Like this, the show we were watching, should we say the name of it? It's Lost Girl. Yeah. Lost Girl. And we'll probably, we'll probably have to do an episode on that soon enough. But yeah, the guy in there, like he looked like the drug dealer from my high school or something. So it was like, he's not like America hot. He's like Canada hot. Wears waistcoats when he shouldn't. He's like, yeah. He's like, what's, what passes for good looking now that Nathan Fillion moved? <laughs> Like, Wait, and, and and bear in mind that Nathan Fillion already was passing for good looking. So it's like the bar's even lower. Yeah, yeah. I Well, I find Nathan Fillion good looking in kind of a trim way. Anyway, so Witches of East End, um, to give a quick summary, revolves around a family. Like most magical YA fiction, it is very female driven. Mm-hmm. And uh, it revolves around a family of women. Uh, the mother whose name is... Joanna and she is a witch. She has hidden this from her two daughters, Ingrid and Freya, because she does not want them to know their dark origins, which I shall appraise you of now. (laughs) So the dark origins are that Joanna has been cursed to eternally to have these two daughters who are eternally reincarnated. And they're not reincarnated like they come back as different forms. They always come back as the same two people. They're always her daughters. 
And she always rebirths them. And she always rebirths them. So every time they die... She gets immaculately She gets immaculately pregnant, gives birth to them, and has to raise them all over again. So she's immortal. They are basically immortal. The thing, though, is that they don't retain memories from their previous lives unless they recover them by magic. So this time around... She thought she had this idea that if she hid from them their magical origins, maybe she could extend their lives because she's discovered that a they always die on the same day at the same time and their deaths are always sort of magically related. So Joanna and her daughters who are now in their like mid 20s, they've never made it this far. They've never lived this long. And so she's like kind of freaking out cuz She's kind of waiting for the axe to fall when her sister, Wendy, comes into town and Wendy is sort of uh, she's kind of the Rose Hathaway of this piece. (laughs) We talked about Rose Hathaway from Vampire Academy is kind of happy go lucky. She's kind of like the happy go lucky fun and devil may care. Devil may care. Let's the girls get away with stuff and has no qualms about exercising her magic. And she has a series of like special abilities as well. And she pushes Joanna to educate the girls about their magical origins. And Joanna is reticent at first, but as the series progresses, Joanna kind of gives in and decides that it might actually be better protection for the girls to actually learn. Yeah, because things, villains from their previous lives are oh, starting man. to catch up Can you up imagine with that, having like an entire life, like like several lifetimes worth of baggage? Yeah. I guess everyone yeah. else has to be immortal too, or you just have to outlive a couple people. Yeah, it's a thing where like they're, of course, like all these series, as like, as it goes along, you discover that this family of women is part of a race of beings from another dimension who are immortal compared to humans. So they're, they're not really witches, they're just aliens. They're not aliens. They are part of the Norse pantheon. But they're still aliens. Kind of, but it's a magical dimension. Stick with me here. They're the Norse okay. gods, okay? Her name is literally Freya. All right. Like So yeah, you, you find out that... Uh, the reason they were cursed was because they were part of a rebellion. Of course they are. In their own Norse god dimension. And their father is somewhere in the mortal realm, but they've never met him. And they have a brother who's trapped in the other dimension. So what I want to know off the bat, you said this isn't a novel? Not based it on any novels? doesn't. Let me make sure. Let's see, Witches of East End, American... Oh, it is based on a book. Based on the book of the same name by Melissa De La Cruz. So yeah, it looks like it It looks like it looks was a novel. We were talking today about uh, The Sniffer. Oh my gosh. Should I tell the story of you, The Sniffer? Yeah, so how, is, this, how this differs from The Sniffer. How this differs from The Sniffer? Yeah. I beg to differ from The Sniffer. This is like a Dr. Seuss book now. So wait, why why is it important how this differs from the sniffer? Um, uh, because it has to do with the way that television shows uh, kind of are how people are get interested in television shows and whether or not the pitch for a television show interests someone. Oh yeah, okay. So the sniffer is this show that's on Netflix now. It's a Russian crime procedural where the gimmick is that he's a detective who has uh, a really overdeveloped sense of smell. And so 
he helps solve crimes using his super smelling senses, and it's called the sniffer. <laughs> so is that kind of what you're saying? Like, if you have in TV, the way to pitch a show is like, if you have a talent, the best thing to do is to solve crimes with it. Well, that end that a lot of pitches have to come in like these one sentence things where it's like, you know, I, I did, I have that monologue I did about the guy who, uh, has, uh, a superpower where um, his his poops are the poops of the things he eats tomorrow. <laughs> and yeah. immediately he decides, well, he's going to learn to solve crimes with it. <laughs> he because poops, he poops today what he eats tomorrow. It's like early edition, but with poop. Yeah. <laughs> and then it's and it's funny because there's a lot of shows like this where they're kind of one sentence premises. Mm-hmm. Like there's a USA show coming out about a magician who's an FBI agent. But the things that people actually tend to shows that are for someone and and some people really like, even if it's not a a wide appeal, like your Game of Thrones size audiences, Mm -hmm. you get stuff like Witches of East End, which don't really fit that mold. And one of the only ways that shows won't fit that mold is if they were based on books. So instead of the pitch being, it's this story, the pitch can kind of just be, it's based on this book, which we know is successful, I guess. Because of Game of Thrones. Because of Game of Thrones. Like Game of Thrones is really the first... It's it's really the first serialized adaptation of a book that's that's worked to that extent that I know of. Like I say serialized old novels were serialized in the newspaper, sure. But like how when before that did you ever see a book get turned into a full TV series or even a book series? It was always like book movie. And maybe before that radio. Like you'd see yeah. books adapted for radio, but since that happened, you do get a lot of these book adaptation television series. I mean, that's what Shadowhunters is, and that's that's what Shadowhunters our, our lady, is. Our Lady Shadowhunter is is a book series that did not do well as a movie, and then someone picked it up and decided, hey, let's try and make it a show for the right audience, and then that it zeroed in on its audience and it found it really quickly. Yeah, and I think that's kind of what Witches of Easton is going for. It doesn't, it doesn't succeed terribly there are two seasons on netflix i couldn't really get into the second season the thing that's great about the first season is that it has this very complete arc of basically the sisters have to solve a mystery about their own past i won't spoil it but so i want to ask two questions and they might be connected Mm -hmm. who is this for who is witches of east end for and what makes it stand out the problem with Wishes of East End is that I don't think it does a great job of standing out. It is for, I would say, I would say it's for the lifetime demographic, women <laughs> who are at home with children and need something to watch while the baby sleeps. So rather than... Which is actually, I, I heard about it from my oh, friend Marlena, who is a stay-at-home mom, and who we've had on the podcast before, and she and I love to get into the weeds about these shows together. Um... That's their demographic that they're aiming for. I think it, you have to give it some credit because it takes risks that are admirable, but it doesn't succeed in being different enough from something like Shadowhunters or the originals or Vampire Diaries or any of those paranormal shows. It kind of gets lost. It's worth pointing out. It it kind of has that gothic element as well. Uh, it does. You know what it's. You know Which what it's. Which is really like? hard, kind of, to sell nowadays in some ways. Like a lot, like like the 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 yeah. barely gothic kind of the post Buffy, yeah thing. People, I don't think really 
have really been latching on to it for whatever reason. The tone, the tone of it is kind of gothic. Uh, one of the problems it has is that it's it goes for a Buffy-ish tone, but it doesn't have the spot-on humor that Buffy had, right. which is what really saved Buffy from getting up its own butthole, was how how well the jokes landed and how funny it was. Witches of East End doesn't really have that. It does have its own charm to it. The story is kind of compelling in spite of itself. And it's it's about sisters, isn't it? It's about sisters. I think there's a lot to be said for that because that's kind of rare, but also that's kind of what a lot of really great media recently has kind of been about. Yeah. Like it's, it, it's like Gilmore Girls meets Buffy, I guess. Like meets it's more like practical magic. I mean, Buffy was really great in the last couple seasons because of the way the sister thing envelops kind of figured itself out. Like what yeah. became really more interesting than anything else was Buffy and Dawn. And then you have something like Frozen, you know, Lord of All, which is showed how easily marketable sisters are. Mm-hmm. And even a show like Supergirl, which is so fun. But the reason that show hooked me and a lot of people is because the core relationship of the show is sisters, mm-hmm. uh, Supergirl and her adoptive sister and how they get along. So, yeah, I see that being a really interesting element because you have all these shows, but usually they involve a chosen one, not a pair of chosen ones who have to figure it out together. Yeah, and this is a this is a trope. The thing with Magic Sisters, this is something that has always worked. I think we just periodically forget how well it works. I mean, this Witches of East End could be a copy and paste of Practical Magic, which came out 20 years ago. You know what actually is making me think about right now is maybe that's one reason why we like Vampire Academy so much. Because it's about two women? Because it's about two women and and the the story makes no sense and is dumb as hell. And, you know, the story, the, Rose okay, Hathaway I'm going to defend this to my death. The way they adapted the it movie, for the movie is of crappy. The, movie. the story of the overall series makes sense. Okay, I'll defend that to my, that is the hill <laughs> I die on. Uh, but Rose and Rose Hathaway is the greatest thing ever because she's too good for the show she's in. Mm-hmm. But like, it's funner to watch something kind of fall on its face when it's about an earnest relationship between two girls. Yes, and that's what matters at the end of the day is can these girls get along and save each other's lives instead of just you know women in a vacuum. I think I've always been a proponent that we need more shows with women and the relationships with each other mm-hmm. because that's that's key to making women stories really relatable is the ways in which they relate to each other largely. Yeah. And it's nice. Well, and the, and the cool thing, okay, not the cool thing, but it's nice to have the female relationship at the core of something mm-hmm. because they do have, you know, they do have affairs and relationships and they get into the weeds on some of them. One of the girls, her kind of her main arc for the series is in addition to like learning to use her powers and solving the mystery of her past is a love triangle between her and two brothers. (laughs) But it's like one of my favorite like love triangles because it's equilateral. So often with love triangles, there's like a guy they're so clearly trying to sell you on. But this is one where if it's equilateral, that means the brothers like each other too. Well, maybe. But in like a bros, <laughs> in like a bros before hose kind of way, oh, I in see. like a let's not let let's not let bitches break us up. But yeah, in the second season, that may be why it's not as interesting because the second season they introduce like a barrage of male characters where you find out new revelations about the men we've already met, and we reintroduce some other male characters. And 
But there are interesting, I don't know, there, there are interesting ramifications abound. I think it just doesn't quite, it doesn't quite hit the marks for humor that would make it good, that, that would make it good enough to stand out from a bunch of other media that is basically the same thing. Um, but it is, it, it is charming in spite of itself in that nummy popcorn <laughs> lifetime TV show kind of way. And it, it does hit all the boxes for non-threatening female sexuality in the way women like to experience romance and sexuality. So, so, uh, so if this is, so if, if this show's niche is, you know, about women and women relationships and sisters and mothers and daughters, and it's kind of YA but tuned up for adults. How does that translate? Like the whole women core relationships, but we're going to talk about like all the anytime, adult things. Anytime you introduce magic, there's often women relationships at the core of that, which is a weird thing that we still associate women with witches. So I don't know that the I don't know that it being about women is really a great niche or gimmick for it. I think the gimmick is more the magic, and in this case their magic isn't so much it's it's not a learned magic it's that they are a different order of beings than they thought they were i think that's the niche how does it how does it expand upon uh how a lot of young adult fiction uh does uh the lady chosen one what well but how a lot of young adult fiction has the lady chosen one oh yeah no there's no chosen one it's not a chosen one. But they're one kind arc. of chosen ones in that they It's a they're like part of a super rebellion, right? They they were part of a super rebellion in the other world, but it's not it's it's not a it's not a chosen one story. It's more of a band of brothers story. Is it a special more, one story then? No, it's like no. It's like a Bubba Hotep. Okay. It's like I'm trying to think of other supernatural it's like Ghostbusters. You know what? It's not... It's the Lady I, Ghostbusters we deserve. It's the Lady Ghostbusters we deserve. No, it's like Ghostbusters in that it's not about a special one or a chosen one. It's about a band of brothers who have a specialty and a bunch of talents trying to figure out how to work together to stop a bad thing from happening and solve a mystery. This actually sounds very compelling. It is. It is compelling. And like I said, in spite of itself, but also there are some like... Really, really nummy popcorn things about it. Like. And some really like how it, uh, I don't know, there's a, there's a flowing current of non-threatening female sexuality. I mean, <laughs> and, and I, mean that, I mean that in general, straight women like to experience sexuality in a way that is non-threatening, where uh, sexual desire and sexual experience are available to them on their own terms. Mm-hmm. And without aggression, unless we want aggression, in which case bring it on. There's there's that kind of stuff. There's a triangle with two cute boys. Who and are brothers. A, who are <laughs> brothers. And there is a bitchy, overbearing mother-in-law-to-be type who gives a performance almost akin to Emma Thompson from Beautiful Creatures. Oh, my goodness. Which one day we will wax poetical about, but that is not this day. So yeah, that's that's really the selling point of that. But I, I want to leave time to talk about the magicians. So let me ask you, Tim, what is the magicians? Well, if the magi- well, if Witches of East End is like your your kind of better or, or Twilight movies. So if like Witches of East End is knocking off of like Vampire Academy books, 
or, you know, the Mortal Instruments books or books kind of about women, uh, which is a, or, or blech. uh, the magicians is very specifically about two young adult books, uh, Harry Potter and our baby precious, the OG young adult, uh, Chronicles of Narnia. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. And it, it, it's, and th- these are based on uh, novels by a dude named Les Grossman, and they're adapted to TV. And Not his brother, Moore Grossman. No. <laughs> so, in, and the essential premise is uh, you kind of have your white, kind of sad, like, uh, has bangs haircut boy in his, in his like late twenties. And he's kind of like depressed and despondent about what to do with his life. And emo boy Magoo. Yeah, a little bit. And then one day he's gets, he finds himself just like at a place, like at a really cool looking university and they have him take a test and he's like, what's this weird test? And they're like, Oh, by the way, magic's rule. And you got accepted (laughs) into magical grad school. So he just like showed up to take the ACT and they were like magic time. Basically, and he and, and admits that he's a fan of this universe's Chronicles of Narnia books, but the there's like sinister things going on with the Chronicles of Narnia and the Narnia dimension, and it's it just goes from there. So we have so we have a special one protagonist in this one. Not really a special one in the way you might expect. Um, the spe- his special oneness is ultimately really arbitrary. Mm-hmm. The reason he's a special one is because he's a fanboy. Of, oh. of of the Narnia books. Okay, so his so his knowledge of fake fantasy prepares him for his experience with the world of real magic. In some ways, and also, but not at all, because also his whole thing is that he's really. You you, you have a a show which really kind of wants to take the piss out of people who have spent their entire lives in very open idolization of something. Uh-huh. A lot of the show is getting to watch this character suffer because all the great things that he thought about this whimsical fairyland is finding out it's all terrible and very sad because it just keeps killing his friends. <laughs> oh, so it's like the crack.com of TV shows. A little bit. Kind of trying to ruin Yeah. R- ruin your favorite things but by it, examining their implications. But it's really gentle about this boy as well because fundamentally he is good. Um, and he's surrounded by a lot of friends who aren't as good and he's constantly trying to encourage them to be good, mm-hmm. um, to varying degrees. So is it sort of a metaphor? Is it a big allegory about growing up? It's definitely a, an allegory about growing up, but kind of in the, the phase of adulthood where you kind of move outside of like fake adulthood, mm-hmm. like from undergrad or grad school, which is fake adulthood is, is your college years. Those are, yeah. those are what you mean when you say fake adulthood. Well, because your responsibilities haven't really mounted. Right. And what this show is about is all these people suddenly finding responsibilities where they didn't have them mm-hmm. and they're all magicians, but that doesn't matter mm-hmm. that, you know, they can, they can literally, you know, part the sky, but it doesn't change how hard it is for them to accept adulthood and how lost and confused they feel and how unprepared they feel as well. Like mm-hmm. there's a bunch of people who like one of the things about Narnia is you have like the kids walk into Narnia and become Kings and Queens. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, all these like grad school, these like party party grad students like walk into like a Narnia realm and get crowned King and Queen and they have to fix it because they find out it's in total disarray. And they're like, we have no idea what we're doing. So they're like Obama inheriting Bush's mess. 
if that if Obama, you know, wasn't a senator with years of experience and was a party party grad school student, <laughs> but uh, also okay. a magician. Like if Obama had gotten elected post Bush in his like early twenties. Yeah. Okay. So what's the of a feudal society? Of a feudal society. So it's like a medieval yeah. world. If resistance was feudal. So you, when we've talked about this before, you've had some serious qualms with these series. I want to hear about that. I, I did because, I mean, the magicians. So like, it's interesting hearing you talk about East End because like the most adult thing about East End seems to be that it has like some sense of sophistication and then like easy popcorn female sexuality. The magicians is kind of like very look at me now, dad. <laughs> Because the magicians, I mean, they use the F word left and right, even though they bleep it out because it's on television. <laughs> I think F words are funnier when they get bleeped. They're not bleeped. They're silenced F words. No. So people will say and it will just go like like a, a brief silence in the mix. And you'll be like, ah, that was that. People are having sex left and right. People are having gay sex left and right once in a while. You know, there's death. There's drugs. There, yeah, people are getting high and, and there's drugs all the time. There's weird, like, violence happening. The show involves a lot of very, quote-unquote, edgy thing. Not just edgy, but very. it's very irreverent for a show that's about magic. So do you think it's trying to sell itself as, like, not your father's Harry Potter? Well, that and also kind of making fun of how if actual Americans got their hands on magic, they'd be doing a lot of weird sex and drug stuff with it that mm. Harry Potter has kind of too much of a reverence for. Versus in this show, people are talking about, like, if you made a clone of yourself uh, with clay, uh, in, would you have sex with it? <laughs> and if so, isn't isn't that just masturbation? <laughs> isn't it masturbation? That might be the ultimate act of narcissism. Yeah. And so, like, Harry Potter would never... Harry Potter wasn't really able to talk about sexuality. And, and uh, also the idea of recreational drugs at all in a way that this show is having so much fun talking about which which makes sense because harry potter is a a save the world chosen one hero's journey allegory yeah harry potter the difference is that at the end of harry potter harry potter's like harry potter's gonna be fine he's gonna have a career and the point about harry potter is about these people who have to grow up too early this is a show about people who have grown up too late oh so there's a little sense of arrested development with these characters a little bit but it's the way that you feel a lot of arrest development exists now with grad programs and the economy and the way that a lot of millennials have been left out of the loop on what to do with themselves and their jobs a lot of the show sees these people preparing for a career course and having it suddenly ripped from them because you know so for example they'll be like oh well i'm gonna learn to be this kind of magical professor oh wait you can't it turns out the source of all magic is blipping in and out because a god decided to defecate in the into the wellspring of all magic oh gosh yeah that's a subplot through one of the seasons is this like a is this like a chaotic universe is this a hostile yeah. universe it's a very hot it's, it's a very it's a very unfeeling universe towards these characters it's funny because for the first season they kind of feel this momentum like they're chosen ones for something and then they kind of through fumbling and uh on and off error accomplish their goal and then they all feel kind of despondent like well now what do we do it's like watching people play a video game they've already finished and then just kind of play around and like, well, what do we do here? So like Harry Potter meets the graduate? A little bit. It's it's like, what if Harry Potter ended up fixing uh, 
you know, Harry Potter defeated Voldemort, but all the everyone over 30 in a position of authority vanished from Harry Potter's world. And Harry then had to be like, fix it with his friends. Oh, yikes. Like if he got like if he got elected minister of magic at 18. And yeah. Had to, like rebuild a post-war economy. Yeah. In the magic world. Do you think do you think Hermione eventually gets elected minister of magic? know i always i hope so i I always had this vision for her that she would become like a scientist a wizard scientist well i think she would doctor or some kind of like practical innovator i think she would either move into hogwarts or she would become minister i mean both i mean she would do like the 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 science stuff and then she would either move into politics because she could handle it or I always thought she'd be like, yeah, uh, what do they call An them? educator. Uh, what's the doctor? What do they call magic doctors in the book? Healers? Maybe. I always thought she'd become a healer or like some, do some kind of magical research or be some kind of scientist. That's what I wanted for her because <sighs> that's, that's what I wanted to happen to her. The, the other reason why the magicians I have qualms with it is because the season finale for season one, like broke my heart. It was so bad. <laughs> I have a whole thing where I really expect TV shows to respect convention because Mm -hmm. not a lot of TV shows know how to get outside that when you're writing something, which is going to be like, I'm getting a piece of this once a week for, you know, three months, you kind of have to fit a structure to make it work. Mm -hmm. And if you're doing that with the format of a season, your seasons kind of have to fit a a structure. This is instantly one reason why Dr. Who is something a lot of people have fallen off because it has a basic inability to do basic like once a week kind of episode things. Mm-hmm. And this show's season finale was just like, here's a flashback of a bunch of stuff that happened. We're just going to condense it all in this sort of amount of time. We're going to go, you know, like it felt like it was culminating to something and then it just drooped. Oh, it was like structurally bad. Yeah. And it just, and it drooped and then also dropped the bombshell of, you know, this show, like I said, it's edgy. So there's a whole subplot about how a character got raped by a God. No. So it it ends on this note after a season, and then I was just like, nope, I'm done. Like, my heart is broken. And then, like, I ended up watching season two, and I, like, came back around. It took time, but, like, you have to get, like, three episodes into the second season to finish the arc from the first one. Mm -hmm. So, really, what you have is a 16 episode first season and a 10 episode second season. But Mm -hmm. if it was, if you can, like, Ignore that they ended the first season too early. Like, it's not as bad. Okay. Because they actually go into a lot of interesting questions about, you know, sexual assault with kind of the magic metaphor laid over it. Mm. So the second season, it gets, would you say it kind of hits its stride in the second season? It definitely does. Because the second season gets really deep into, like, the Arrested Development stuff, which is where it's the most interesting is watching these kids who shouldn't know better or or don't know what they're doing forced to rise to the occasion and kind of, uh, fail upwards at it. So they have to like, the second season is kind of when they have a compelling purpose and an arc rather than just being like, Hey, there's magic. Let's do rule 34 with it. Yeah. That makes sense. So are your, are your objections to it? Like, mainly thematic or structural like uh, structural you're you're more upset that the writing is bad yeah and that the ideas are bad and then the raucousness at some points kind of gets a little frustrating Mm -hmm. because you know it it comes to a point where the consequences start getting realer and realer for these characters they're losing friends they're losing loved ones they're losing their own children at times 
they're losing, you know, body parts <laughs> all mm-hmm. at once. Their ability to kind of joke. There's a part where the two characters are trying to joke about it. And then the girl's like, I'm sorry, I, I can't do this anymore. I don't think we can joke about this the way we used to joke about things. And I know we're just trying to do it because we want to keep it together. But I, I lost my eyeball. I can't. <laughs> oh, man. Yep. Someone gets Xandered. <gasps> so, but it actually does become compelling and it is a good story compelling to me if you it depends on what your stomach is for watching a lot of these these dicks kind of uh dick around yeah these dicks and janes these dicks and janes dick and janing all over this town like a bunch of good time charlies yes (laughs) back in the back in the jazz i mean like Sometimes it misses the humor. So whereas it sounds like Witches of East End doesn't really have enough of it, I think The Magicians goes too far. There's a part where there's a character who can go into other people's dreams, and so he and his girlfriend, he they go into her dream, and you know they have a they have a little sleep, they have a good time together. Yes, mm-hmm. a bit of the wink, they have wink, sex in somebody else's wink, dream. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. But then in like pillow talk, they're like, should we call it in section? Or like Inceptisex. <laughs> they keep trying to make Inception puns. It's like, come on. Come on. Get on with it. <laughs> you guys. You guys. Well, I think that's all we have time for today. We end on Inceptisex. We end on Insection. Inceptisex. Oh, thanks for joining us, everybody. And go out and watch your favorite magician's TV show. I would I would honestly recommend revisiting Practical Magic because that is a that yeah. that is a more fun vehicle about women women sisters with magic. Yeah. I I'm just really impressed that you know we talk about the sniffer and how shows are kind of these one sentence <laughs> one sentence premise. I'm enjoying it that at least these are sh- these are two different shows uh-huh. that came out of young adult fiction. And they're for a specific audience. Yep. And they each kind of have their own point to make, you know, about something different each. And that's kind of a good, what I'm getting at is, you know, we can, we can throw up our hands amidst this very tumultuous time in U.S. politics and the world mm. and appreciate that cable television is giving us it's some... It's still silly. It's still silly and it's still making, it is now more than ever before making, you know, a lot of diverse programming for a lot of different people, which well, I, I like. I guess it's also a nice consequence of the popularity of YA fiction and of Harry Potter specifically that we're getting to a point where instead of people just imitating what's gone before, they're taking ideas. They're from, elaborating on yeah, it. Yeah, they're taking ideas from successful series and using them to explore different implications of those ideas. And that's a really fun thing to see, and I, I think that's... I think that's why we do this, Tim. Yeah. I think that's why you and I get up in the morning. Yeah. All right. Thanks, everybody, again. Um, you can follow the committee at JDRC Love on Twitter. You can email us at JD. You know what? I'll put all this in the doobly-doo. You know where to find us. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Dory E. Peacock. You can follow Tim on Twitter at CyberMormon. And these are our sign-offs. Inceptisex. Thanks, everyone. We won't judge you, but we will bring the jello salad to your trial.